Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 156. This week, we talk with Matt Heidinger and Thomas Fennell about adaptive cards, Amazon giveth and Amazon taketh away, redesigning the volume slider, announcements from WWDC, and we look forward to the Xbox One X. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DocX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. This week, we have Matt Heidinger and Thomas Fennell, program managers on the Windows developer platform team. How's it going, guys? Good. Thanks for having us on. Good. Yep. Uh, Carl, what do we have for the comment of the week? The comment of the week we got off of iTunes. It's Team Rogue. He gave us five stars and said, this show is good because Jason and Carl make it all about the guests and get into the work. Keep up the good work, guys. And then he goes on about the keyboard uh, shortcut episode that we re- that we had a while back, and Jason being able to correct himself right in the middle of the show. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm so amazing. Uh, no, actually, what was useful about this is he pointed out because I was I was mentioning that like calculators, and I was trying to figure out there's two different number pad variations, and they're backwards from each other. And he mentioned that it's uh, he thinks it's the the phone the phone dialer as opposed to the the 10 digit keypad um are are backwards so thank you for that uh um clarification because i was trying to figure out which one was backwards so thank you for that yep so team rogue send us your Wait. email address and you will get the espose.total for.net which includes all of the espose.net products in one package you wanted to say something thomas no, it's fine. I was just going to say that everybody knows that the numpad layout is superior to the phone dollar layout. <laughs> oh, man. You grew, grew up with a big keyboard. Like, I mean, hang on. Like tabs for spaces is coming next. Uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's tabs. But um, yeah, let's move on to the tabs. <laughs> <laughs> Are we all in agreement? Because then we don't even have to discuss it. Uh, tabs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Thomas is like, he's, he's quiet. I was like, did, wait, did Skype freeze or did he? <laughs> <I was> thinking <laughs> about it. <laughs> His face is getting red i use uh i use spaces just to be clear though oh. so hopefully thomas is okay with that i use spaces oh, that's better that's better you know you know what's right you just are <laughs> programmed the wrong way <laughs> okay anyway anyway let's uh let's jump into the news here so the first one amazon drops unlimited cloud storage for individuals yeah this sucks <laughs> yeah because I, I i know uh what was it two years ago everybody kind of had unlimited storage and then yep. they all dropped it and then like right at that time amazon was like hey everybody unlimited storage yeah and those and- jerks over there sorry they were well i'm, <laughs> no, they're jerks. I'm, I'm super bitter because uh, you know they uh they offered like they had a black friday deal as well for five dollars for a year for unlimited storage and this is like everybody else dropped unlimited storage and then they started unlimited storage so like that was their chance to not screw this up so i was like okay they must got this you know this is this is a lost leader they're trying to push something else you know i have a fiber connection so i just push everything in there um you know so i guess i'm one of the people that probably ruined so it for you everybody. ruined it for us yeah i didn't have that much i was 
was actually I, I just hit a terabyte, which I don't think is that unreasonable. So they they just switched their plan now. So for the same price, which is their normal price is 60 bucks a year, um, you only get one terabyte. Well, I'm at the limit. And if it's only a terabyte, well, then I'm going to use OneDrive, right? Or Dropbox. I mean, they're all, they're all limited to a terabyte. And I'm already paying for, for Dropbox and I'm paying for OneDrive through Office 365. So like their, in their interface and everything was just terrible to use. So like the only thing they had going for them was unlimited storage. And now there's this mass exodus from there. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I kind of wish they had grandfathered people in a little bit better. It's whenever your plan renews. So like if your plan renews today, like you're, you're done. They, they just start deleting stuff. Um, I, I just wish they had a better plan. Um, even if it was like 10, you know, let's say $10 a terabyte or something that you went over, I don't know, some kind of plan for, for people to, to slowly migrate off. So now I'm just moving, moving just massive files over, um, Dropbox, um, they're, they still offer unlimited in their, uh, in their business version. Um, but there's some ambiguity about what, what they actually, if what unlimited actually means, um, they're, I, I contacted uh, sales because it like popped up, you know, with that little chat thing, whenever I was on their website. I said, is there something I can help you with? I said, yes, actually. I said, what does unlimited mean? And they're like, they're like, oh, we don't have unlimited. I'm sorry. And, I, and I'm like, I'm sorry. It says, uh, as much as, um, as much space as you need is what they say. They don't say unlimited as much space as you need. And I said, okay, well, what does that mean? And they're like, well, you get a terabyte. And if you need more, we bump it up. And I was like, yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> like, how much can I actually get? And they said, sorry, this isn't support. <laughs> so I, so I reached out to support and they said, they said, well, it's unlimited. Like we just, we'll just keep bumping it up for you. And I was like, oh, so like five or 10 terabytes, like that's fine. And they said, absolutely. Well, there's this Reddit thread that, that, that has people in there, like sharing their experiences. Half the people say, uh, you know, I, I, I got to two terabyte, like one person said, I got to two terabytes. They will not raise it for me anymore. Another person said, Hey, I'm up to 25 terabytes and like, they're still happy with it. And I'm like, okay, so I don't know. So it's a big mystery. I don't know who offers unlimited storage. I think OneDrive, the business version still offers unlimited. Um, but again, like I haven't done any research to see if that actually means unlimited either. Um, you know, like I, I kind of get it because, you know, you could have a, a petabyte, you know, obviously is going to be like a, a huge loss if somebody were to, were to use it in that capacity. Um, so I, I just wish there was a little bit more definition around these, like, you know, saying, Hey, you know, around 20 ish terabytes, like then you're starting to get into this kind of gray area. Like even like a statement like that would be, would be really useful because the issue that I have with one terabyte is not even that I necessarily have like that much, although I actually do have that much now, but like there's a wall there. Like once you hit a terabyte, then you're just done like Dropbox on their personal plans. Uh, there's no option. Like they will not take your money past that point. Um, so it's like, I just want, I just want some options past that. You know, the thing is, you're eventually going to have to be able to shuttle this stuff around too. Like at some point, aren't you going to be like, well, okay, I can't be here anymore. I'm going to have to move it over there. I mean, there's a business opportunity here. Maybe like you need to come up with a business that lets people move stuff from the people who can't make up their minds about how much storage you get. Yeah. Like just a little around, you know what? Like, you know how people put a bunch of debt on a credit card and then they end up moving all the debt to a different <laughs> Right, right. Because that one has zero percent interest. Like you're going to have to do that with storage at some point. I, I think there are some services that do it. They, they tend to be expensive because I thought about just running some of the clients like in an Azure instance. But the issue is, you you know, you get hit with like data outbound data transfer rates or data transfer uh, costs. 
Um, I guess that that's the big thing. So if you were to operate a service like that at scale, like you have to charge um, a decent amount for it to be moving around terabytes worth of uh, worth of data. But I think those services exist. Um, I've searched for them before and I'm pretty sure they popped up, um, but they're a little scary too. Um, you know, giving them <laughs> access to the data and then having them like move it without issue. It's just, yeah, it's a little scary. Yeah. The people you really got to watch out for are the ones that offer to do it for free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the they're getting something out of moving that data like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I think we can move on from that one. Um, resume anti-pattern. So this came up recently. I've seen, I've seen a lot of resumes. I've actually in the past have helped people with their resume, improve them. And, uh, so I just searched for resume anti-patterns cause I, I saw a resume recently that I'm pretty sure like hit on like every anti-pattern. Uh, so I did find a, find an article on this. And, uh, so I'll just kind of read, there was only four points that they made, but the keyword encyclopedia, red fuzzy underline. So basically grammar and spelling mistakes, uh, Homer's odyssey. Uh, so basically too long, uh, complete well, lack well, of part soul. of that too, is we, we still need to know about your experience in 1997 doing web forms with an excess. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Come on. I know. I, so I saw a resume with that recently. Yeah, just like out, just tons and tons of out of date information. So here, I'll, I'll give you the short version on how to have a good resume. The ultimately what, what you want to do is you want to show impact. So like here was the result of whatever. And here was my role in it. And if you can just make some statements like that and then weave in the things that you know based on that, that's it. That's all that I ever look for. Um, there's, I mean, other than like, you know, your name and maybe your like your phone number and or address, I don't think there's anything else that's really important beyond that. Um, obviously, if you're if you're, you know, just coming into this and you don't have the the right um, you don't have a lot of experience, then, you know, you're going to put down education. But again, I want evidence that you know what you're talking about and can, can do things for, for in the position that, that you're being hired for. So I, I, I think, I think it's really, you know, like great to aspire to something like that, but I, I know that there's a lot of places, especially if you're trying to look at someplace that's like maybe local, mm-hmm. a lot of them, their HR departments optimize for these anti-patterns though. Like if you don't yeah. have those, those 32, you know, three letter acronym abbreviations on there, you're just not going to get to the top of the pile and you're not going to move on. So you almost need, uh, two, you know, yeah. that you hand in at the same time. You're like, grade this one for this way. Grade that yeah. one for that way. <laughs> yeah. Run this one through your, through your, yeah, this is for the HR department and this is for the hiring manager. You, you do raise an interesting point though, because, you know, it's certainly not really likely that I could do that. But if you are applying for a job where, you know, you can get directly to someone that, you know, you'll, you'll skip that first step. You almost mm-hmm. would want one that's more not going to be buzzword compliant if, if it's going just to, you know, straight up to a HR department. Yeah. And again, if you have to like weave in those buzzwords, I guess is my point. Mm-hmm. Um, you say, Hey, I saved the company, you know, or I, 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 you know, was able to, you know, increase profits of this product by $3 million by doing X, Y, and Z. And I used, you know, .NET and C sharp and SQL server and, you know, kind of explain that. Um, I think if you had, you know, five of those statements on your resume and that was like the, the big part of your, your resume, um, Personally, I, that's that's like ideally what I would like to see. And then what you could do is you could bold the the technology one so that HR, when they do their check, they're like, "Yep, I see the buzzwords. <laughs> um, this is this is what I'm looking for." Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, every situation is different, obviously, but um, I don't know the the this list of like I know, and you list like every technology that you've ever even heard of. Um, I don't know. It's good for HR. It's good for nobody else. You guys don't care about my COBOL experience? Like, is that what I'm hearing? Like, nobody, 
Well, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Like it's still being used. Right. <laughs> and so if you seriously, like if you, if you, you know, I don't know, did, did something amazing and, um, you know, you were using COBOL, like go ahead and call it out. If you think it's at all relevant, um, there's a time and a place for everything. <laughs> Move on. Uh, Redditors design worst volume sliders possible. I hope you get, do you guys have a link to this one? Oh, I clicked on it on my bus ride <laughs> into work this morning. It was crap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the creativity is through yeah. the roof. Yeah. So, so you have to, everybody will have to go to our show notes to, to look at these. Um, but you know, I can kind of explain like the first one is a, it's a vol, it's like the traditional volume slider that pops up, except that you have to slide it horizontally within like, you know, a 10 pixel range. That one's pretty good. And they just keep getting better from there. The next one is, um, what was that game? Uh, what, what is the game? There's a, what was it? Monkeys or bananas or gorillas in basic where you'd like set your trajectory and like the, the, the angle. Um, (laughs) that's like the next one. Like that cannon game that we we used to play. Yeah. I was going to say, you probably have like a a newer example. Yeah. Um, but but basically you, you hold on the, on the volume thing and it like builds up and then it shoots the volume (laughs) onto the slider. (laughs) And then, and then they just keep getting better though. I love this one. Please. It's a picture of a microphone that says, please make a noise as loud as you want the volume to be. (laughs) This is now listening. Oh man, that's that's where I started to lose it. And then the next one is a screen full of dots randomly placed around, and you have to move them into the shape of the number of the volume percentage. And then he uses machine learning to detect what number you drew using those random dots. Oh, and then the next one is pretty funny. It's a volume slider, but you tip it back and forth to get the slider to move. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the next one here? It's oh. based upon your geography, yeah, where your latitude, latitude is. <laughs> Please simply simply move your device to a new location with the latitude as your desired volume. <laughs> oh, the next one is like a whole bunch of dice, and you have to keep rolling them. It's like Yahtzee, where you hold on to certain dice to pick your volume. Uh, what's the next one here? Oh, it's the slide. This is like, you ever play a golf game where you have to like push the button mm-hmm. at like just the right time. That's basically the volume slider there. The next one is like really hard to understand. because It's it's like the, those, like uh, those games where you got to like just tap the yeah, dots at the right time. Yeah, where you got to tap all the dots at the right time, but it's like minus plus <laughs> X. And one that'll reset it. <laughs> yeah, one that'll reset it. There's like mines and you have to hit the arrow just the right time to like pick the right option. And then this next one is one of the best ones too uh what is this game called i'm blanking on it where you push the puck and then there's the the people with the sweepers there the brooms oh uh, <laughs> oh my god it's i can't we're so <laughs> close to canada this is this is curling curling that's it curling yeah yeah so it's it's basically curling and you use the little broom <laughs> to pick where uh to help pick how far the volume slider goes <laughs> Oh, and then uh, this is crazy. I'm describing these. I, I apologize because hopefully you can go watch these. But the next one is it will it works on a Mac and it goes. I didn't even know. Is that based on the? I don't. How do the they light, know what the 
Oh, it's, it's based on the ambient sensor. Okay, so you use the ambient sensor to adjust the, the volume. And then the next one is radio buttons with every value between 1 and 100. <laughs> and then there's a checkbox that's mute. I saw uh, in the yeah. comments at the end of those that someone actually took the initiative to start implementing some of them. So you can actually like, install these yeah. and use them as your real... <laughs> Bye. Yeah, they're out on uh, out, they're out on JS Fiddle. That's funny. Which one? So I've seen a, another person uh, made you type the digits of pi, and if you made a mistake, <laughs> then it reset immediately. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh I like yeah. So they Death got a better than maximum volume. Yeah, they got a JS Fiddle to the uh, uh, to the one where you shoot the little cannon, the volume cannon. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool. Okay, so max volume is easy to get to because you just hold it down and then like oh. <laughs> But anyway, how often do you want max like, volume though? That's actually kind of fun. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm very extreme, like max volume all the time. It, whenever I get done with a podcast too, like all everybody in the office around me, they're like, you're loud. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not loud. I'm just extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Extreme podcasting. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What do we got next here? Oh, WWDC. And I was basically asked, do you, do you guys want this with, uh, with extreme snark? <laughs> because <laughs> okay so i got lots of snarks i apologize in advance because i'm going to be really snarky here i'm going to i'm going to go through yeah. the announcements very quickly here and then we can kind of come back and talk about them so so here's here's what you miss from wwdc um apple announced a speaker uh that's that's just like the one that that we announced uh the Harmon cardon device so basically building a intelligent speaker with good sound um they're making the ipad uh more windows like um, the iPhone is getting a do not disturb, uh, feature, uh, from the windows phone. Um, they are coming out with, uh, a, a toolkit called AR kit to compete with uh, HoloLens. The MacBook pro, uh, is dropping in price and they're updating their chips, uh, so that they can compete with the, uh, surface, uh, the iMac, they come up with a, a new iMac pro to compete with, uh, windows hardware. And again, I said, I intentionally threw a whole bunch of snark in there. So, <laughs> um, all the things they're copying and then other kind of honorable mentions, uh, they, they announced uh, watch OS four. They really only showed like two features, uh, which was just more uh, screens. So one is a Siri screen. That's kind of interesting. Uh, Sierra got high. Now they have high Sierra, mm. um, which has very few things that they showed off there. Um, uh, Apple person to person payments, which I actually think is pretty cool. The question is like, how do you set that up with your bank though? That's, but I'm, I'm all for like making person to person payments easier. Um, and then one that I think is kind of big, Amazon, uh, Amazon video is coming to Apple TV. That was like the app that they were, that they were missing there. So snark aside, like, you know, they had, they had a smorgasbord of actually, you know, pretty good improvements. There was nothing like that, that got me particularly excited. I know Carl, you were, uh, you thought AR kit was kind of significant. Yeah. I, I think that with all of the devices that they have and how well they've made this at least look like it works. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, they have a serious inroads just getting this to that many devices immediately, even though it's not up to the full HoloLens like experience. Yeah. I think that when they actually do come up with something that does compete with the HoloLens, having, you know, this work for so many other devices will really give them a heads up. Yeah. I think this is super exciting because it's kind of like, you know, Pokemon, like they did their own thing, but now app developers don't have to like reinvent AR. They can just build on top of this. I think that that's actually super significant. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see where people push it. I think, I think this will be one of the big things that will pushes AR forward. And then um, that's just going to help out the HoloLens because, you know, it's going to, it's going to 
open up a lot of those different uh, scenarios. And a lot of the scenarios we talked about with HoloLens, like decorating your house or things like that, like those will be uh, accessible, right? Because I, I'm guessing a year from now, what you'll be able to do is go to Amazon and say, Hey, I like this chip. Well, maybe they're a bad example. Cause I, I don't know how good they are with like buying furniture, but whatever you go to your furniture app of choice. Right. And be like, Oh, place this in my home. And you'll be able to do that right from your, right from your phone and see what that looks like. Yeah. A lot of those, uh, I may be over generalizing, but some of these trends were a lot in just convergence of these experiences. I mean, the, you know, a lot of it was just being, to me, you know, you, you mentioned the payment one, which I think is interesting, the whole person to person payment. I mean, I have been using Venmo and Square Cash for a long time. And the way they work, you just take a picture of your uh, debit card and they, they work okay. through that. Um, so it's it's incredibly simple and you just pay through people. And Venmo is an I- even interesting one because they brought social to it. And I fire up my Venmo app and it shows, I mean, from even old high school friends because it's linked to your Facebook from back in Michigan that I haven't seen in 20 years, but I can still pay it there. See, they're paying someone $40 for pizza. And it, <laughs> it literally is a stream That's of people exchanging money. And I, I turned mine immediately to private and I'm a relatively open about social media. And I yeah. was like, but I don't want people to know what I'm paying for. So I that think it's an, it's an interesting one that I think Venmo and Square Cash and Square is just Square Cash is just Square and they have a fork of it that that just does person to person and they don't take any cut. Um, you do have a set, they they keep the money in there so you have to manually transfer it similar to PayPal to your bank account and it takes about four days. But what's interesting is you know I I will show my age in a in a different way as someone who's recently been in the the dating world. Um, There's something interesting about me. You know, I had a Windows phone forever, obviously. Um, Now I'm using uh, the S8 uh, Plus, but it's really weird to be, you know, described and interpreted as one of the green bubbles to iPhone people. Because when you're talking to their iMessage people, they're blue bubbles. But when you SMS with someone, I just show up as a green bubble. And it's this weird, it's this weird thing about just being different. As technology gets more and more um, social and and about a status type thing. So I really think this payment stuff is going to be interesting as more iPhone users start to just pay each other with this. And then I'm like, oh, can you Venmo me that? And I just, I wonder if in a couple, I mean, Venmo is the status quo. Everyone uses Venmo every day, as long as according to my social feed. And it'll be interesting to see if that's still the case in a couple years, or if I'm just the weirdo who just can't accept iMessage payments. (laughs) Well, you're the weirdo. And I think that, uh, (laughs) (laughs) no, I think that, uh, um, yeah, I mean, anytime Apple does something natively like this, I mean, it just, kills like most of the competition. I get I guess the the counter example of that would be like Spotify and Apple Music. I mean, Spotify mm-hmm. is like so much better that people are like, "No, I'm not using Apple Music even though it has kind of native integration and right. things like that." So, well, I think part of it too with the like when you bring up that iMessage uh bubble thing is Apple has this really I think good I'm I'm going to say good as in it's effective. They have an effective way of doing it through design whereas that that blue is just really pleasing it looks good whereas that green is actually kind of garish and hard to read so you know it kind of reinforces what they want you to do and that's where i have a problem like when we uh, go to like the the speaker i know that their music app is going to work really great with that but i don't like their music app i use third-party apps Mm -hmm. so how well is that going to work with a speaker probably not that great so uh, you know it's what there is a, a kind of a self-selecting, you know, when you're in those ecosystems, they try to design you to stay within that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they should use like Comic Sans and like the green bubbles. Like, yeah, exactly. I didn't really even make of that, us though, really like... make us feel shame. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny yeah, though. Like, like it comes up on first dates. People are like, "So uh, why don't you aren't you a blue bubble?" And I'm like the only one that they're like, they don't even get it. They're they're oh, like, "Why is my phone showing you someone? Why are you in a different color?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's because we're using." an old service called SMS. <laughs> it is, it is funny though, that like people don't understand that either. And it, no, you know exactly. what's nice though, the, the blue bubbles are really nice though, because like when I'm texting somebody and I'm not like sure that it's their number or whatever, you know, you type it in and like immediately it goes, bloop, it flips, you know, yeah. to iMessage and I'm like, yeah. okay, I got the right thing. And yeah. so I actually, I oh, mean, it just, it, it's so sticky. Like they're, they're, yeah. Oh. And that's why I think payments is going to be a special one. Not quite just like the speaker or anything. I mean, those you have to buy like this, yeah. this the, the, the sending payments to someone is going to be so automatic that you won't even yeah. think about it. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, they will for you. Yeah. They'll be like, why can't I send you money? I guess you don't get money. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No. You want me to install an app? No. And put in my debit card? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else we want to talk about here? I mean, I, I, I was snarky about it, but like, I, like I said, I mean, I think their, their speakers interesting cause it'll, um, it's more of a Sonos compete. Um, everybody's comparing it to like the echo or the Google home, but you know, it's a, it's actually a good spot sounding speaker. I think, I think that's a sound strategy because ultimately as, as long as it has the microphones in it and those work well, like you can fix everything out with software else with software. So if you get the, the first round of people buying it for the sound quality, and then you get the second round of people buying it for the sound quality plus, you know, Siri being awesome. Um, I think that's a pretty sound strategy. Um, the iPad is still not appealing at all to me personally. Um, but you know, I think they're, I think they're doing some of the, the right things there. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's about it. Uh, okay. And then, uh, last news story, which I am excited about, but you know, I, it, it's kind of, it, it won't necessarily come through, which is the, uh, the Xbox one X, which we've described before. I mean, it's just a super high end, true 4k gaming machine. And they went all out on this thing. It's like 12 gigs of memory and, um, super high end CPU. And, um, it's smaller than the S even, uh, but, uh, really nice hardware looking forward to it comes out in November for four ninety nine, which I actually think is a reasonable price. It costs more than the, the PS4 pro, uh, but it's more, you know, it's more, it is more powerful. And then prices, you know how they are. They always drop down pretty quickly anyway. Yeah. The price thing seemed to get a lot of people, there was, it was totally like divided down the middle, like 499 is way too much. And yeah. then the going back to the Apple speaker, like, isn't that thing 349? Yeah. So you got <laughs> yeah, $349. Like I saw that on Twitter. Somebody's like a speaker. Well, everybody's everybody. Yeah. But everybody's whining about that price. Yeah. Too, fair so. enough. But then I saw somebody else yeah. say, Hey, you know, like my big, my, my, my massive graphics card costs $900. Like to get a whole system for yeah. 500 bucks feels all right. Like, it just depends. On yeah, I got to think, I mean, I got to think that there's, I, I don't know anything about that division, but I got to think that there's not much margin on that. Yeah. Um, you know, after, after a few months of production, I'm guessing they can squeeze, you know, some margin out of it and then you can drop the price. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll wait and see. So that's super exciting. And then I guess the other effect of that was that the, at least temporarily, I'm hoping it's permanent, but the Xbox one S which does, you know, 4k streaming, it's actually a really nice 4k streaming machine. Uh, plus, you know, a good Xbox overall, uh, dropped on 200 bucks. I mean, Whoa. that's, that's, I mean, I paid one thirty for my Roku four, you know, the high end Roku, um, like we're getting into that territory. <laughs> mm. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it seems like those things should really be moving now. You guys saw the, 
the I, I think I read this right. I'm still a little I'm still can't believe it's true. Xbox games, original Xbox games, mm-hmm. you'll be able to some some of them. Yeah, yeah, they're bringing them out. Like still, yeah. like I mean, I I until oh. very recently actually had some of those discs lying around. I, I don't now. <laughs> I yeah. had no idea. I mean, oh. <laughs> Well, that's why they had it. <laughs> They're like, we're waiting for Thomas to sell. Oh, yeah, man. sell, sell, sell. Um, that's awesome. There's a few at least. Yeah. I don't I don't know if they hold up though. Well, yeah. <laughs> I I I recently like actually so I I hooked up my original Nintendo for my kids uh, just a couple <laughs> yeah. weeks ago and they actually they they actually say that that's their favorite system, which is pretty funny. Um, but I I actually hooked up my original PlayStation 1. I hooked that up like 2 years ago and I was thinking like yeah, Crash Bandicoot and like <laughs> uh, some of the racing games and stuff on like those things were like they were like flawless. I hooked it up I'm like Oh my God. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't hold up well on a 70 inch TV. For me, the ones that. I'll never play again are my Nintendo 64. Cause it's got such fond memories, but then you play them and they're, they're really bad. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you're you either going to go, yeah, there's like, no yeah. sense ruining those memories. Just keep yeah. them as really positive well, memories. Ocarina time was perfect. Yeah. If you go like super <laughs> retro though, I think it gets interesting again. Yeah. Like Nintendo and uh, Atari. Yeah. Atari, things like that. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, we're even seeing a lot of mobile games coming out or taking on that that old style, yeah. and they're making them really compelling. So, yeah, I think it was that middle area that people are like, yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, well, we're out of time, so that was it for questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, we had that was a long news segment, but uh, there is some good stuff in there. Uh, so yeah, we wanted to uh, we wanted to jump in and, and talk about adaptive cards uh, because there was uh, a lot of excitement at Build around this, and we wanted to hear from the uh, from the experts. So I guess we should start with uh, helping out our audience that hasn't heard of these. You know, like what are adaptive cards? Yeah. So. Um yeah, and probably many of you haven't heard of them yet because we're just starting to kind of spread them around. But effectively, you know, since a handful of your audience is going to be window developers, they'll they'll uh, remember what we were trying to do with live tiles and notifications. And no doubt a number of them have met me over the years and told me, just let me put XAML on my live tile. Let me draw whatever I want. And while we try to enable that and we've tried to, um, there's always these kind of competing interests in that ultimately your content is being hosted and served up in this other experience. It's being hosted in Start or it's being hosted in Action Center. And we started to see the same thing happen with bots. Um, You'd talk to a bot through Skype or through even Microsoft Teams, you can talk to bots. Um, Cortana surfaces up content. So you've got these people who want to get their content into these apps and really opening up something like Freeform UI, like just here, here's a chat bubble in Skype and you know, you're the Foursquare bot or the Yelp bot. We, we can't just really give you just draw whatever you want. The user would lose all the cognitive load, especially when you're scrolling through a chat thread. If everyone chooses their own font weights or their own uh, type ramps and their own margins and things. So what adaptive cards tries to do is bridge that middle ground between, okay, you're an app, you're like Skype or you're Microsoft Teams. You clearly have a strong brand like any, you know, well-known app is. And we want to let you open up to a third-party ecosystem, open up to the breadth of, of developers in a controlled way. And that's really what adaptive cards let you do. It's this JSON payload that says, okay, you're a bot developer, you know, text is great, but but obviously sometimes, you know, let's say I'm ordering something through through a bot and and it wants to send me a receipt. Well, you know, sending a 
text-based receipt would be a little kind of, it certainly isn't the user experience you're looking for. And then custom drawing an HTML one would also be a little weird, uh, especially as, you know, I think the value prop of bots is that unlike apps, they, they're, they're all about breadth for free. You want it, they're, they're chat-based. You want, if you want to write a bot once, and that's the, the, the big thing about the bot framework that we've been working on is that you write your bot once and now any user can be on Facebook Messenger, they can be on Slack, they can be on Skype, they can be on Microsoft Teams, and they can talk to your same bot. So they abstract away that transport mechanism. And that's what bots are. They're about that reach. And adaptive cards are trying to make, cards are trying to make the visual part of that uh, consistent and across reach. So tangibly, what that really means is that you describe an adaptive card in this JSON payload, and when it gets sent to Skype, it looks and feels like Skype. When you send it to Teams, it looks and feels uh, like Microsoft Teams. So the content adapts to the host that it's in, and you as the developer don't have to think about that. Yeah, this really so, reminds me. Uh, sorry, Carl. This really reminds me of the web, right? Because mm-hmm. on the on the web, like you can do anything you want. But then it's a huge pain because you have to test against every size form factor, every different browser, different rendering engines, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Um, and, and in many cases, it's like, I just don't I don't want to focus on those things. I just there's certain content I want to get to the person and I do want it to look a certain way. And that's what gravi- why I gravitate towards something like Markdown. Yeah. So it seems so it seems like kind of a similar thing, like a happy middle ground. It, it took us a while to, to really articulate it once we were kind of building this thing. Thomas and I, you know, we've been you know, whiteboarding around. In fact, he was like, you probably have to erase some stuff back there. And I was like, no, I think it's all <laughs> it's fine. It's a little blurry. Um, but yeah, we, we've ultimately realized we're just the markdown for cards. It's the same thing. Whereas, you know, you're, you write your, your markdown is for documents, right? You author it in a specific, uh, a finite window of, uh, of things. And then mm-hmm. they guarantee that all documents look the same. And we're doing the same thing, but more than just text where you can have columns and you can have a little more um, flexibility, but it's very similar in the idea. All right. So first of all, I heard you say JSON. So I'd just like to say thank you. (laughs) Yeah, sure. You can thank us, but I feel like we just, you know, you should be saying about time you did your job. Like that's kind of the... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there was a little bit of that tone that I was trying to get in there. It failed a little bit. So, you know, I, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. I mean, you, you brought up the concept of like, you know, you want to display a receipt across these different things, but you said you also want them to look the same on Skype and, you know, all the, all the native places, you know, look like iOS on iOS, look like Android on Android. Mm -hmm. But what if I'm like a kitschy little, you know, hipster joint and I want it to look like a, a handwritten receipt or something like that. You're saying that I have to give up control of that. Well, so with adaptive cards, I mean, so here's here's what people are doing today. So on Facebook Messenger, which is the dominant messaging platform, you know, outside of, say, China, um, you basically have a handful of templates to choose from. And it's really a handful. I think it's like eight. And there's an airline itinerary up template, an airline flight update template. And the reason they're templates is because Facebook wants to make sure that all Facebook Messenger users get the same feel of content. But what they also have is an image template. And that's what a lot of these bots are doing. They're custom drawing an image on the server and then choosing that template. So they're they're effectively breaking out of the, the artificial box anyway, but in a kind of crappy way because those images, 
they don't always look right. They're not going to be uh, accessible on high contrast devices. And ultimately, there are a lot of data. They can look blurry as you change resolution. So an image is kind of like a hack that the industry is taking to break out of that box. So you could do that with your handwriting example. But what we're trying to do is make it so you don't have to do that. Um, you know, ultimately, you're you're competing with two interests. You know, you're trying to get to your users and you're going through a third party. You're in this hosted environment. You're talking to Facebook Messenger users. So you will ultimately play by someone else's rules by the simple fact that it's not your app. You're running through someone. But what we're trying to do with adaptive cards is make you have to break out of that box and drop to an image less and less. Like you should be able to achieve certain things that you want. Now, custom handwriting, your example might be a little too far to the extreme, but you should be able to do more and, and more stuff. Just like Markdown, you know, eventually added tables and things like that. Like you should be able to do things and express them without having to cheat and draw custom images. And, that's and there's a spectrum to too, Carl. Like you, your example, if it, let's just say it's at the far extreme of something you can't do with adaptive cards. It doesn't mean that yeah. it, and it Which doesn't mean that there's that. no there's <laughs> we're not at all trying to say that then you you should give up on that like if there's another stack that will let you do that in that example like if you can go full html and the places that you need to be to achieve that goal then you should absolutely do that like there are better technologies for some things than others and we can't we can't expect that everything will right. just work through adaptive cards or through h it's the same same thing that matt said about you know there's there's a set of scenarios that markdown is really really good at but then if you need to do a, you know, a full custom web page with a bunch of CSS, you're not going to choose Markdown. You're just not going to do it. Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications, which can create, open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit www.aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial. And if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. Remember, if you're a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Aspose.Words for .NET a powerful toolkit to work with Word documents in your applications. Yeah, in, in a lot of cases, you know, I've been authoring, um, Microsoft is moving tons of our documentation to Markdown. It's been really fun. Everything's on docs.microsoft.com. I'm currently moving all of our stuff that's currently, we have a site called adaptivecards.io and I hand rolled a bunch of doc stuff because we, we had to get it done in time, but we're moving all that. And Markdown's great, but all, but sometimes, you know, there's custom code snippets that you want a little more flexibility. So Markdown lets you escape and write a little chunk of HTML. Like just a little bit of chunk. And it, when we kind of think we're walking that that same line where if you do just want most of your content to be described in adaptive cards, but sometimes you have this kind of custom thing, we, we want to enable that escape hatch as well. Okay. So what 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 does the JSON that we're writing kind of look like then? You know, what kind of yeah. properties are you giving us? You know, how, how do we go about this? Yeah, so it, it's mainly a set of building blocks. So the, the thing we, we like to... Um, 
so for anyone listening, if, if they happen to be in front of a computer and want to at least jump in, you just head to adaptivecards.io and you can click on samples and we have a whole bunch of sample payloads. Um, but I want to stress, and as I'm currently working on the site to make this more obvious, these are not templates. Um, we're, we're not trying to be a template language at all. We're trying to offer up a set of building blocks that let you compose your content in a certain way. So you can say, here's four lines of text. This line of text is large. Uh, and then you can just say, put it in this container, which groups it. You can say this container should have a certain amount of separation between the other container next to it. And what we're trying to let you do, similar to almost HTML1 in the very semantic web, is just describe your content with some semantic hints so that it can be rendered natively, not only cross-platform, but cross-experience. Uh, so it has to look like Skype, on UWP and it has to look like Skype on iOS. So we're cross-platform, but we're also cross-experience that the experience owner ultimately controls the look and feel. Just like when you write markdown documents on GitHub, they look and feel like GitHub. That same markdown sent to a different site like docs.msdn, it, look, it completely looks different, um, but it's still my content. And that's what we're trying to do, author your content with these building blocks, very similar to markdown but a little bit more uh, card-like in a fixed window. Whereas Markdown's great at documents, we want to be really good at a, a, a kind of small card-like region. Yeah, looking at the at one of these samples out here, um, there was, and maybe you're more familiar with this than I was, but uh, there was there was a technology like, God, it would have been more than a decade ago. It was like XML forms or something. Well, there, um, there was something called... Um, I'm trying to find it online, but are, are you trying trying to talk like schema.org stuff or no, no, you, you would, what you would do is it, it, it looked really similar. What you would do is in XML, you'd say, was it hyperstack? Want... Is that what you're referring to? Or no, hypercard? It, it was, it was, I thought it was like XML forms or something, but it was okay. really, it was really similar where you would, uh, you would say, Hey, I need a text box. And then, you know, uh, here's these other properties that go along with it. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it just, re it re really reminded me of that it, most of our listeners probably have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, X forms. It might've been X forms. That's what I was, I was trying to figure out if it, if that the was thing what it that was. I've realized is that just like everything in technology, this is not some brand new yeah. mind blowing invention. It's simply trying to apply it to a very specific scenario, um, which, you know, a lot of people see it and they're like, well, how is this different than HTML and CSS? What you're describing is like HTML and CSS. And as you're kind of thinking like markdown along the way and, and, the whole point is that this content is designed to be hosted in something else. It's for when you don't own both ends of the stack. And we really want to appease both people with this technology. And by the way, it's completely open source where we do all of our um, roadmap, our schema development. It's all in GitHub and all open source. We're trying to make this as open to standard as we can to get third part. We don't want this to be a Microsoft only thing. We do have Skype and Microsoft Teams and a handful of other Microsoft properties that will align to this. But we've also um, at Build, uh, I got to have Kick on on stage with me, which is really cool, announcing they're, they're currently in prototyping. Um, and we've just been working with a, a lot of people in the industry because there's a reason that the industry is in where it is today. There's a reason Facebook Messenger only gives you eight templates, and they're literally all airline <laughs> templates, frankly. And it's because 
their users are very important. Con that controlled, constrained environment. There's a reason why you just don't let people open up a box to draw whatever they want. Mm -hmm. So we want to have, you know, Facebook or Slack around be like, okay, here's this constrained window. There's no security implementations. Adaptive cards are purely declarative. There's there's no code or anything. There, you just describe your content. And then you can safely open yourself up to this extensibility because it's sorely lacking in the bot development and in, in yeah. cards in general. Everyone has these proprietary APIs and we want these content authors to get that reach for free. Carl had mentioned schema.org and, and we are similar to things like that. These microdata formats like Facebook open graph, like that's exactly why for, 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 you know, people listening, um, you know, there's a reason why when you go on Facebook.com or Twitter and you scroll through your feed, all those articles look exactly the same. All the videos, all the photos, th these are templates that Facebook has described. And you as the content author, you say, oh, this is an article. Here's my headline. Here's my image. Here's the summary. Here's the text. And you describe with that data and yeah. Facebook renders it just the way the same article shared to Twitter looks and feels like Twitter. We're trying to be like that, but more um, a little more freeform, not just data. We're, we're going to let you describe your, your, your card in a little richer way. Yeah, I think this makes a lot of sense. I think it was a, I think it's a really nice balance. I think you guys have have struck just the right balance there. And whenever I first saw, you know, some some of these cards that pop up in bots, you know, where it, it'll have buttons and things like that, I'm like, mm -hmm. oh boy, this is <laughs> this is not good. Yeah, I you know I was just thinking like this experience is going to be yeah crazy across these different things. You know, maintaining the sameness yet the the differences across them. And, Absolutely, yeah. it's it's already people can't you know or people, not that they can't they do that we. We as an industry spend billions of dollars maintaining an Android and iOS and a Windows app to ultimately look and feel identical to users. And we build on all these platforms. There's no way bots are going to compete in the same vein. You can't, there's no way you'll be able to write and maintain a Facebook Messenger bot and know their design language, a Skype bot and know their design language, because ultimately that's where bots are going to shine. You just want to talk to someone. We talked about iMessage earlier. You just want to be able to talk to your business. Um, so. Yeah. So, so I'll go ahead, Carl. So I was going to say, like, you have me sold. This is a pretty awesome idea. But do you have some sort of SDK or kind of tooling to help me author this JSON so I can get this out there? Yeah. Well, we have a ton of tools out right now. Yep, Notepad. Um, we do have we do have notepad <laughs> integration come on carl <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so if you do go to adaptivecards.io it'll link to our github which is just github.com slash microsoft slash adaptive cards um we have sdks on every major platform so as i have harped on a handful of times here bots and cards are all about reach and so if you would want to adopt adaptive cards, we need to be wherever your users are. So if you have an iOS app, an Android app, an HTML app, we have SDKs for all of those platforms. We have a .NET WPF renderer. Uh, we have a Xamarin Forms renderer. We're still working on on getting them all. Uh, we are in preview, I should preface to say. We're, we're still building this thing. If any of your listeners have feedback in this area, we are actively talking to anyone. Just head to our GitHub. We have 100 issues or so filed. A lot of them are schema proposals. We're looking to lock down the 1.0 schema this summer, uh, soonish in the summer. But yeah, so we have SDKs for both if you're a card author, and also, if you're a card renderer, like you're the Skypes of the world, or or you're just some app who wants to open up to an ecosystem in a safe way, um, adaptive cards could be. Could and how be a to? Great I mean, you know, how to create well. them? There's there's the visualizer on adaptivecards.io. There's a plugin for. Is the is the plugin for 
VS out there too? Code? Yeah, so we have a yeah. we we have a VS Code previewer that you can install as an extension. So as you're yeah, editing yeah. I, this, I just did, I, that's what that's actually what I was just I, working on. So I got it. I have it installed, and I was looking at. It. I was I was going to mention that. it if you had mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we have a we have a previewer there, so you can immediately kind of see your card uh, in VS Code. Um, I haven't figured out how do I actually preview it then. Uh, I think you have to hit. It's some weird, like all VS Code. It's some weird combination of like four keystrokes. Uh, I think if you do <laughs> Control Shift, or, you know F1 to get the console yeah, window, and then Control type Shift Preview or something. No. Yeah, I can't remember. It's some weird extension. It's like Alt Shift P or something. <laughs> that, that'll, that'll it. Yeah. Uh, the 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 extension tutorial will tell you. Um, yeah. So it's Control cool, Shift yeah. V A. Oh yeah. Oh, Control yeah. Shift V A. That's what I was Obviously. missing. Was. That's that was my next guess. People, Control you know, the editor world. You know, I come from Visual Studio. Oh, cool! Where, yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, so yeah, if anyone installs the Adaptive Card Viewer, that's our tutorial right in there. Control Shift V A. So you were mentioning earlier, like how Markdown has properties, so you can just like drop out and kind of go custom. Do you have like any way that I could define like a custom property or something like that? Especially if I'm going to be having a custom renderer myself. Yeah, totally. So that uh, extensibility and um, customization like that. We, we, I, so personally, I've been following along uh, and trying to emulate as closely as I can with the .NET standard. So similar to .NET standard, right? It's a specification that is the standard, you know, just like Adaptive Cards 1.0, that's going to be our specification. And then a renderer ultimately will know how to render the 1.0 version of the schema. But if you have a custom property, like I, I always have a hard time coming up with an example. Um, but if, if you had a custom property and you want to then render it yourself, you can do that. Our renderer libraries, let's say you're, you're on your UWP app or whatever, um, we have events that fire to let let you customize. You can you can completely override how. So one of our elements is a text block. You can pass in a completely custom render if you want to take control over that rendering. So we definitely want to design with extensibility in mind um, because we know that people just like .NET Standard and the .NET platform, you will need custom stuff before it's ready to go through the standardization process. So you know the only thing the guidance we're offering is that you namespace some of those properties. So you know it should be Carl Carl Schweitzer dot you know whatever property and then it's it's at least namespace so that you can submit that as like hey i i think this property could be useful it can become part of the span the standard and then you know then you don't get um you know conflict issues but yeah definitely extensibility and if you adopt adaptive cards we don't want it to be you take it wholesale we want it to be accepted but we definitely know that you'll need uh customization where you need it this is really cool. This preview for VS Code, like it's like instantaneous. I mean, you're typing, yeah. the preview is updating. So yeah. that is I, very cool. This is I will say that, that we don't always say, so we, we talk a lot about the, the card visualization and just rich layout. It is more than that, though. We do have a set of actions you can put on the cards. As you click around our samples, you'll see some like the, the weather a large sample we can do uh, touch targets within the card that will execute actions and again they're all purely declarative um, but it still lets you do some pretty cool stuff with with take action on uh, on these things including you can we have what we call the show card action where you can have one card show another card and that enables some really cool scenarios that like hey you're ordering this pizza order and you can say I want this topping which would then toggle down a set of options and then you click on a different button which would toggle down a different set of options mm -hmm. um, 
that we only let it go one level deep yeah. people are always like wait so one card can show another card how many can we go just, <laughs> just one for now cards all the way down yeah yeah, yeah. okay um and then so who's already using these cards so right now, um, the only place you can see and play with cards, if you go to bot framework and write a bot, uh, the dev.botframework.com, their dashboard, uh, it has a really cool test button. I, I've, I've, I think they've done a great job, that team, with, with dashboard. Uh, you basically just publish your bot and you click test and it slides out with this little chat window and you can talk to your bot right in there, kind of live debugging. So adaptive cards fully work there in that test environment. They have an emulator tool. You, what you'll see that I'm getting at is mainly tooling. <laughs> yeah. um, the bot framework tool supports adaptive cards and they have this control called the web chat control yep. that, uh, that lets you host a bot conversation within your own website or your own app and, and adaptive cards work there. Um, you'll see Skype soon. You'll see uh, Microsoft Teams soon. You'll start to see a bunch of Microsoft properties light up over the coming months. And then you hopefully start to see even some third parties uh, as those prototypes go. And you'll see them in more than just um, chat environments. At, uh, at the keynote, at Build, the Windows keynote, we announced Microsoft Time, uh, Windows Timeline. That uses adaptive cards. That API will light up uh, soon in the Fall Creator update. And then you'll start to see those cards in the following release. Um, so yeah, you'll see it in Windows. Basically, anywhere who wants to host these card-like experiences, where you're going to start to see them. Which is why, if any of your listeners are are intrigued by this topic, I mean, you can literally get in on the ground floor. We're getting pretty cool. I mean, our GitHub our GitHub issues are mainly all like, hey, have you thought of this? Have you? Thought? They're not bugs so much because mm-hmm. we're still in early preview. But it's like, hey, people want video support. But then when you start thinking about video, you know, someone will comment, but be careful with that because you don't want to, I don't want people just automatically play video. So it's cool getting people's feedback, um, you know, and, and thinking of things in, in the broad community. It's certainly been fun for me uh, as part of the developer platform to actually get to engage with people as we're building it um, is is pretty fun. So uh, is there anything other than like videos that might not be uh, good to use in adaptive cards or at least not right yet now? So anything that isn't, um, that, that's hyper dynamic doesn't really work. So a lot of scenarios we get are people, you know, locations are, are a big one. So people want a map. Um, if you imagine interactivity, you know, on Android, for example, there's the there, everyone describes it as a widget, but the reality is there's two very different types of widgets. Um, I have a widget on my phone that is my my eight different um, presets of my Philips Hue lights, so I can quickly toggle lights. And all that is is a grid, a two by four grid that has some actions and a button slider. That'd be a perfect adaptive card. It's got actions. It, it can update itself, as in it can like redraw itself on action. But then there's another type of content. Let's say like the Gmail inbox widget, where you're scrolling in it. It can you can like zoom into an email. It's got a whole life cycle, and it's this interactive kind of thing. That's not a good adaptive card. So adaptive cards are really when you have this static content, you can do uh, actions on them, but they really only refresh. You're not like scrolling an adaptive card. There's not stuff like that. So like an interactive map wouldn't really work. Okay. So um, when we talk about media, so how do we work with media in regards to adaptive cards? Uh, Because I'm assuming that there's, we're not just sending a blob or a binary bit with these cards. So how how do we as developers, how do we plan our infrastructure to be able to, you know, make these more dynamic and cool looking? Yeah. So 
so right now, uh, basically, we we primarily only support HTTP resolvable assets. So so you can you can is that what you mean by media? Like just assets like yeah. So to an image you know you know if I, I if I have an image, I could base sixty four encode it, but I'm sure. sure that would probably choke somewhere along the line, or at least make this so it's uh, less reliable or slower. Sure. Yeah. Um, so for right now, we currently will basically only resolve HTTP images, uh, GIFs for like basic things like emojis. Um, you can do like the the shortcut kind of colon thumbs up colon syntax to, to enhance with emojis. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically anything you can do at Markdown, you can do in adaptive cards today. So it's, it's primary images. We do have uh, lots of aspirations to enable richer types of media. You could certainly imagine as we work with HoloLens to get 3D content in the card. Um, currently, that's all being being figured out, but right now it's it's mainly images and, and assets that can be resolved uh, through the web. Can you can you do the 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 embedded base 64 encoded images though? Can you do that? Uh, you can't. You can't uh, right now, okay. but it has been. It, it has Carl been, said it was a bad idea. I'm just asking. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it seems like for something small. I mean, that's a that would actually be a lot quicker because it doesn't have to go out and fetch those other assets. So, yeah, exactly. I'll yeah, go open the that, GitHub. I think that is one of our but, earlier GitHub issues. <laughs> but we also don't want to be putting around 4K images of Jason's new, uh, you know, drone either. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe we do. I don't know. who am i to judge (laughs) um did you have any other questions carl no i was just gonna ask if there's anything that you guys could tell us what's coming up soon or that we could see likely um, good stuff for adaptive cards yeah so I uh, I don't have anything to, to, to just try to soften the expectation there. I don't have anything huge to announce right now. Um, we're in um, really exciting prototype mode with a whole bunch of partners. Uh, just it, just applying this concept in ways that we just never thought possible. And that's, to me, the most exciting thing um, for people who just have these scenarios where, you know, I've always wanted to to be able to embed this content or, or create an ecosystem of content. And the biggest thing that adaptive cards are different than say HTML is we always generate native UI. So an adaptive card on iOS always creates native iOS elements. It creates native Cocoa elements. That same card sent to Android will always create native Android UI. And that means you're free to do anything on that platform that you want. This isn't like, and HD, we rendered HTML and then now you have to embed a web view into your app because certainly that would impact scroll performance and things like that. So ultimately, how you choose to use cards, you can do all these creative things because they always create native UI on each platform. It lets you do some really uh, neat things. And that's just kind of a teaser for some of the ways that you'll start to <laughs> see um, people use creative things with adaptive cards in the next uh, you know six months or so. I think that's a really good reminder too, because I mean, especially as uh, for people who have followed your previous episodes, you know, we we've talked about live tiles, we've talked about notifications. This is kind of like definitely evolutions of each other. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think it's really cool to see this broad jumping to these other platforms too, and Mm -hmm. not not just get focused on the pigeonhole of Microsoft technologies. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Very cool. Anything we missed? Anything else you wanted to mention? No, I'd say uh, I'm sure you guys will have links, but check out adaptivecards.io. Um, 
if you hear this today, I know our docs suck. I'm going to make them better in about four days. So <laughs> don't, don't critique how bad our doc site is that we threw together uh, at midnight. I mean, docs, <laughs> docs will be coming. But yeah, stuff. yeah. So Microsoft yeah, I'd say check that out. We'll, we'll have it all as part of the developer, typical developer destination yeah. for docs. Yeah, it'll be a couple of days. Yeah. That's very cool. We had an episode on docs um, a couple of weeks ago. So everybody's oh. familiar with the awesomeness of docs. It is awesome. It's yeah. pretty cool. That's great to hear. Uh, okay. And actually, uh, so I have some live feedback now on, on one of our news stories. So I, uh, I had reached out <laughs> to somebody who claimed that they had on the, on the, on the unlimited Dropbox storage, they claimed to have 28 terabytes, uh, of, of, um, available storage on there. So I had them send me a screenshot and, you know, obviously it could be altered, but I have received the screenshot of, of a unlimited alleged screenshot <laughs> of 26 or 28 terabytes of available storage. So, um, that seems like there is a decent amount of headroom there. So I can't, I can't explain the people who have run into limits there. Uh, okay. So Carl, what do we have for the dev tip of the week? Uh, the dev tip of the week might be a little bit limited, but I have been working as I, I've mentioned in the past a lot in the IOT area. And mm -hmm. I've been recently working with serial, uh, especially uh, serial with UWP. And sometimes that gets to be uh, interesting to debug. So there's this actually uh, a really cool tool as part of the, as part of the Arduino IDE. So if you go to arduino.cc and go to their software page, you can download the Arduino IDE and right there in their window, you you can actually have an open serial uh, uh, box that you can interact with. You just select the COM port and just start typing and it'll send those messages and receive them back and forth. So if you're looking to set up just a quick and dirty uh, way to work with serial, and like I said, this isn't necessarily old school programming because I'm doing it with UWP applications. So um, it's definitely a, a valid uh, tool. Check that out. Um, it was Something that I had a coworker uh, actually showed me after uh, trying to figure out the best way to debug this. So Very cool. I thought it was pretty cool. Okay, guys, uh, what I need to do? Let's let's have Matt go first. Pick a number between one and four, inclusive, and let me know what it is. Four. Four. Would you rather tap dance for 20 or 24 hours straight without stopping, or walk backwards for an entire week? Ooh. Would I be a good tap dancer? <laughs> I I doubt it. Oh. <laughs> if you have to ask, uh, I'm going to walk backwards. Skeptical. Then. <laughs> I'm walking backwards for a week. That would be you. You know, I wonder. Like, first, people would be confused, and they'd be like, "That guy must he must know something." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Ferris Bueller scene where they were like driving the car in reverse, you know. To like, I was actually have, thinking, you know, I have kids, so they were watching Cars recently, and there's a part where Mater just drives backwards, and he's an excellent at driving in reverse. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> cool story, uh, Thomas. <laughs> can pick a number between one and four, inclusive two. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather have 10 working tongues on your hands instead of your fingers or <laughs> see how can oh. he gets working stuff? And I'm a crappy tap dance. I haven't heard the other. Option, but I'm, I'm gonna pick the they, other they explicitly say the tongues work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or <laughs> this is a game for kids. Just so you know, but or oh, have toes on definitely your hands the toes instead on my hands instead of fingers. I'm a dermaphobe. Like if I had tongues on my fingers, Oh God, I, I be, couldn't touch. I couldn't be, be talking oh to people. Oh God, that's true. Could, but they'd be in bags. Like. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It's okay. 
That's fine. Yeah, but your hands would look like this, right? <laughs> I don't know how that looks on the other side. <laughs> uh, you you would you you really have to hunt and peck type. I mean, you would not. Or ah, ooh, I never thought of this though. Like, are the toes as functional as your fingers? Because then you'd be like, you get like that new BlackBerry with like the physical keyboard, and you'd be a maniac because it feel like a full size <laughs> keyboard to you. I have nice toes, so I mean, I'm just saying, like they did. Like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> so uh check out a picture in our show notes of thomas's toes <laughs> That's okay well this show has definitely gone down let's just get this let's get this finished uh okay matt where can people find you uh so on twitter it's just at matt heidinger okay and you know that yeah that's probably the best place to uh, go typically outside okay, of matt good. and thomas where, where can people find you that's basically it. no. At, it's just at, at Thomas Fennel is the best. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. And then we'll have a whole bunch of links in the show notes to all the stuff that we've been talking about. And where can people find you, Carl? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So guys, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us about Great. adaptive cards. Very cool stuff. Yeah. Thanks for having us. <laughs>